Voice of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Jordan brings us a sermon called, What If Jesus Was Serious About Sin? It looks at how we often don't take what Jesus said seriously. We make it an ideal that cannot be reached. But what would your life and the life of the world look like if we took our own sin seriously? It comes from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. We have a new series here today. We're going to do a two-part series called, What If Jesus Was Serious? And I got this idea from a book that I read last spring called, uh, What If Jesus Was Serious? It was a devotional uh, by Sky Jethani. And it's real easy to read. It's a very short devotionals for each of your days. I recommend the book. Uh, but it comes out of this wondering of why sometimes the way that Christians live looks vastly different than what Jesus taught. And why is that? What if we actually took the things that Jesus said and taught seriously in our own lives? How would that look? And so he uses the Sermon on the Mount as the place to jump off of because that is, there's a lot of practical things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount and how we can live as Christians in the world and the things that we need to take seriously. So today, I wanted to talk about, uh, that's the cover of the book, if you want to get that. Uh, it's a, and then today we're going to talk about what if Jesus was serious about sin. Sin's a tough topic. We don't want, want to talk about it, right? Because uh, we don't want to talk about our own stuff. We're more than happy to talk about somebody else's sin, right? And the things that they're doing. Um, but sin, I think, is more than just the things we do and the actions we take, the individual actions. But I think sometimes sin is almost the way we live and the priorities that we have. So to kind of start us off exploring this, uh, we often just want to point finger. Christians want to do this all the time. We just want to point the finger at other people. Look at them. They are sinning. Look at all the things that they do that's wrong. That's not what Jesus taught. We always want to find other people that are doing, are not following our own ways to live. We love to point the finger. And because we, because this makes us feel righteous, right? It's righteousness based off of who is wrong because we are right. Righteousness and piety based on the fact that we value ourselves based on who we are separated from. So we want to point the fingers, our fingers at others. For example, I can point my finger all I want at... (laughs) For those of you that maybe aren't in tune to the NFL, but there was a game last night involving one of my favorite teams, and uh, my team lost in the 49ers won. I could point my finger at them all day, right? I could point my finger and say, they did this or that, or they cheated. But ultimately, I need to look inside and point the finger at myself, or team, right? There's plenty of mistakes that the team made itself to not win. But we'll, we would rather point the finger 
at the other team, then take the responsibility of our own actions within our own sins in life. We don't like to confess. In the Protestant world, we don't like to confess just because we came, we broke off of the Catholic Church and so you confess to a priest and we're like, well, you don't have to do that because God's the one that forgives your sins, so you can just confess to God on your own. So what happens then is we just probably don't end up confessing and we don't end up looking inward at the way we are living and how we are treating others. So to clear up as we continue along, uh, our own sin, what I want to define that as, we could say our own sin, it can mean individual but also corporate. So our sin as individuals in the way that we live and the actions we take and sin can be done by a larger group of people or systems. It could be done by the Peace USA as a denomination. We can commit sins as a larger body. We can commit sins as a larger community here in Castle Rock or any kind of larger body of people is what we're talking about. So individual plus corporate, both of those apply here in what we're talking about today. We had that wonderful reading of the scripture uh, of Jesus in the wilderness and the desert being tempted. And, you know, a lot of people have different thoughts on this, what's actually going on, and, and there's a lot of different portrayals of it within art, within movies. Uh, some believe that it was just Jesus going to the desert and he was tempted within himself. The sin and the temptations of the human condition was the thing that was tempting him. Other people really believe in the the physical embodiment of Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. In, uh, in a movie, The Last Days in the Desert, it reimagines what Jesus was going through, and it shows uh, Ewan McGregor playing both Jesus and Satan, but also mirroring maybe the uh, shadow self with the real self of the temptations of the ways in which we can take the easy way out. In Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ, Jesus is tempted by first shown as a snake, then a lion, and then a flame. And so we all have these different ideas of how Jesus was tempted, what it looked like. But I think there's a lot of things we could pick up from this because the things that, things that Jesus was tempted by, I think we're tempted by too. Jesus in the desert, what he's doing is he's fully committing, he's fully uh, entering into the human condition. That it isn't just this, this flesh suit he puts on, right? But he is actually entering humanity, that he is a part of it. He's understanding our struggles, the divine and human meet. So, the things that he was tempted with are the things that draw us away from God and from others. First is security. Security that you have your, the things are provided for you, food, clothing, basic stuff. Security is a thing that we all long for. We cannot survive without security, right? But when security becomes the ultimate for us, when it becomes the ultimate thing to uh, ignore everyone and everything else, that's when we get into trouble. When we sacrifice everything, not just for food, but anything that you may crave, anything that uh, you desire, and it comes before everyone else. 
We want the quick fix, right? We want the path of least resistance. When we're under pressure and stress, especially, how many times the past two years did we maybe see ourselves or others maybe take a quick fix? Because it was stressful. There was a lot of stress going on in our world. We want to satisfy our immediate wants, even if it's not what we need. So maybe some of you know someone, or you are the person, or you have a child that you've often said this about, but you know the people that often take the path of least resistance, right? That they choose the easy way out. And we kind of, we talk about that as a negative thing, right? Because we think that the patience and perseverance improves your character, improves the way you live in your life. And so the, that's kind of what this is talking about, the path of least resistance, to just make yourself feel secure while ignoring everyone else. The second one, the second temptation that Jesus gets is, basically we can describe it as status. To, Satan tells Jesus to go to highest point of the temple and to jump off. If he is the son of God, then God is going to save him because God loves him the most. Jesus needs to prove his status with God, that he is important and how great he is, that he's better than everyone else. That's the temptation. But this isn't the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is not about a community of superiors and subordinates, but it's about a community of equals. And so Jesus entering humanity is showing us that, that Jesus is putting us on the equal ground as us. So the temptation is to show off how good you are. We tell our kids that, right? Don't be a show-off. That goes for adults too. I think a good example of this uh, Satan uses the Psalm 91. He quotes it to Jesus. And I think this was the very first and original fear over faith. Okay? I think we've heard this a lot in the last year. With the pandemic, with masks, with vaccines, with almost anything you can imagine. That we have used the term faith over fear as a way to kind of position us as more righteous than others. Well, I don't feel that because I have faith in God, right? Thinking that your faith in God puts you in a different status than everyone else. So status is the second temptation Jesus faces and one that we face in our own lives. The next one is the power over the kingdoms of the world. He shows Jesus all these kingdoms and said, this can be all yours if only you worship me. If only you worship the darkness, if you worship evil, because that's how you are going to get the things that you want. Power at any cost. Power, power that sacrifices compassion, charity, unity, equality, and a relationship with God. Jesus rejected this because... Jesus' power comes out of humility and servanthood. It's not about having the power of all the world, but it's about 
dropping that power and serving others. I think a good, one of the best examples I could think of for this is there's a, a CEO of a payment company. His name is Dan Price. Now, a couple of years ago, he had about, a, I think, a $7 million uh, salary as the CEO, and he decided to do an experiment where he would drop his salary down to 70000 and increase all of his employees' uh, salaries to 70000 And what happened was he ended up bringing everybody up with him. People had started having families, had more babies. People were able to afford houses. People were able to um, afford things that they couldn't afford before. So by humbling himself and giving to others, he lifted others up out of the humility and servant leadership. So what does this mean for us? What does Jesus' actions mean for us? I think Jesus' temptation in the desert was to give, it was to give in to selfish desire. If we could just really narrow down sin and what it means, a couple of months ago I defined it as missing the mark of love. And we miss the mark of love because we are looking for our own self-interest before others. So if we really want to get down to sin, it's about that selfish desire only for yourself. So these selfish desires, we face these regularly, right? And it's maybe not in such a dramatic form as, as Jesus did in this story. But in all the ways we sin in our life, it comes down to our selfish desire for security, for status, and power. That's what it kind of revolves around. Now, daily choices aren't always clear-cut, right? That sometimes there are things that are partially good, things that are maybe good for you but not for others, maybe decisions that are um, good or evil disguised as good. And so it's never clear-cut. There's various shades of good or evil. So, Temptations first have to hold goodness because we can't really be tempted by pure evil, right? We, we all know pure evil when we see it and we can't really be tempted by that. But it has to start with some goodness. So with Jesus' temptations, we start with something good. So number one, the first temptation about security and the, turning the rocks to bread, it is a good thing to feed oneself and take care of one's body, Right? Jesus isn't saying that that's not good to do in this. And the second one of status, of uh, jumping off the temple to show that God loves him. It is good to be confident in your abilities and talents and gifts. It's good to be confident in those. That's not what Jesus is pointing at. And three, it is a good thing to be in positions of authority and power to be able to help others. So power inherently is not evil or bad. But in all these temptations, it was going to become the ultimate thing because Jesus' purpose here was different than all those. He would have to sacrifice all the things he was going to do in order to give in to those temptations. So these temptations are not saying these things are inherently bad. But it always starts good. But when it gets bad is when it becomes the ultimate in our life. Before everything else. 
So Jesus shows us that a life of a Christian doesn't make us better or less sinful. What Jesus shows us is that our lives will be difficult at moments. It will be difficult at moments, and at those moments, how we choose to live and the choices we make are going to define how we want to be in the world and who we want to be in the world and who we want to be in relation to God. We'll be tempted when we're hungry. We'll be tempted to doubt God's faithfulness in times in our life and to reach for power rather than a life of a servant. So we must choose. Do we want to go give in to give in and live a way of life that is only about us, myself? Or live into the kingdom of God, which is much, much different? Oftentimes, we'll just be tempted to ask, what's in it for me? How many times have we asked that of ourselves? What's in it for me? So what does it look like to take sin seriously? I think if we don't take sin in our own lives, first and foremost, seriously, it's going to shape all of our desires and wants and comforts and power. Instead of our desires and comfort and power being shaped by the kingdom of God. So who will you choose to be? What Jesus is doing in his ministry up until this point, this is, he's showing that he is the son of God, that he is going to start his ministry right after this. And so in all of this, what Jesus wants to do is show the upside down kingdom. That everything within the kingdom of God is vastly different, almost upside down, completely different from the world. And the world's, the things that the world finds important. Everything kind of gets turned upside down. The idea of that, that power isn't very important, but actually dropping that power and being humble and serving others, that's vastly different. To not always worry about yourself first and your security and, and your food and everything that you have to do in your life, but also looking for the interests of others. That's vastly different than what the world tells us to live. So Jesus is bringing about this upside-down kingdom and showing us this is the way of God. Then he fulfills the law and prophets. Oftentimes, we also think as Christians that ah, the Old Testament, well, that's, that's all done because Jesus came. That's the New Testament. We don't have to worry about the Old Testament. Not necessarily. God, Jesus isn't coming to just cancel the Old Testament and the laws and the prophets and everything they said and in the ways that they told us to live in the world and to treat each other. What he's actually doing, he's fulfilling that because we have been unable to fulfill that. He is showing the fulfillment of the life that God has planned for us. So he's showing us it's possible. And third, Jesus is bringing about the transformation of hearts, specifically transforming our hearts to love God and to love others. To be transformed by Christ means that that transformation will manifest in new habits and new behaviors. It's, just not, it's not just cleaning your heart, but it also cleans your works and your actions too. That's kind of the tension. One of the tensions in some Christian theology is this faith, faith by works or faith by grace. 
we are saved by faith alone uh, or are we saved by works? And we always argue about this, but it's already taken care of in the Bible. It's taken care of by James where it's talked about if your heart is changed, if you have faith, if you are saved by faith and your heart is transformed, then your actions are going to show it. So Jesus is transforming our hearts to love our neighbor and to love God. Sky, in his book, had a quote. He says, what we must avoid is the error of thinking holiness is either an external or an internal reality. It must transform both our intent and our actions. Sometimes we can easily get caught up in saying, well, I changed that in my heart. I don't feel that way towards people anymore or that group of people or something like that. But unless your actions are following through with that, that you're treating others better, I don't know if the transformation has happened, right? Now, we're always going to make mistakes, and that's okay, but that's why it's about grace. It's about grace than rather than this rigidity of following a law. It's kind of, he also tells us it's like guardrails where we are driving. Guardrails are good. They keep us from going off the road, right? But becoming a driver who doesn't need them is better. Think of bowling, too. When you're younger, you put the bumpers up, right? If you're still using bumpers, maybe when you're 45, I'll try not to judge you, right? <laughs> and so become, working and transforming your heart to know that, to live your life, that you don't have to be so stringent with the guardrails, the laws of the Bible, that you get so fundamentalist in it, so all about the law that you forget how to drive. I think an another example of what it means for our hearts to be transformed, to love God, to love others, even love our enemies. Uh, Rob Bell is a pastor who was in Michigan at a, a church called Mars Hill. Now he's kind of on his own doing his own thing. But most, when he goes and speaks at places, almost always there's at least one person protesting because they don't like what he has to say. Now, back when he was more popular, probably 10 years ago, there was probably more people, and what he did every time he went somewhere and there was protesters, he would order pizza for them, and he would go out and serve them pizza. Because God transforms our hearts so that we're even kind to our enemies, that our hearts are softened to know that that. Part of what makes our enemies enemies is that their hearts are maybe hardened towards us and that we should show that our hearts are not hardened towards them. So when we let the kingdom of God be first, when we let the kingdom of God be first in our life, that, that's how we see the world, that we should be working towards this kingdom that Jesus is talking about where everything's upside down, where the first shall be last and the last shall be first, then everything starts to change. Because otherwise, what we do is we live in a world where we, we let our own cultures, our ideologies, our politics, our philosophies, all of that guide what we think the kingdom of God should be like. Instead, we should turn that around and view first the kingdom of God and then view how our own ideologies, politics, philosophies 
fit into that. Because the kingdom of God is about the community of equality rather than based on superiority. It's where we get in trouble as Christians sometimes, as a larger church. We think we're superior to others because we know that's a sin. We shouldn't do that. We don't do that, but they do, and we want to call them out on it. We get in big trouble when we do that. That's not necessarily good news, right? If we are people that are always accusing others of things, then who wants to join us in that? If the gospel isn't good news for all people, then it's not good news. But it's simply about grace. So these things that tempt us, these sins that are in our own lives and our own hearts, we need to take time to reflect on them and, and be aware of them, first and foremost. Sometimes we're not even aware of it, right? So what do we do then? Taking sin seriously means that we live in the upside-down kingdom. We talked about that, that we first and foremost see that before any of our own things, our ideologies and ways that we see the world. We can take sin seriously by having grace for yourself and for others because it's already been fulfilled. What Jesus has done, fulfilling the Old Testament, fulfilling the law and the prophets, it has already been done. We're kind of off the hook that way. We don't have to finish that work. Jesus has done that. What we need to do is live into the work that Jesus has done. And number three, work on transforming your heart. And there's some ways we can do that. We kind of introduced this in the fall with the People of Hope series. That one of the ways we here at New Hope want to transform our hearts is by learning, serving, praying, and gathering together. That is the way that we can transform our hearts to the ways of the kingdom of God in front of us. That we can realign ourselves with where the kingdom of God is in our midst. If we do these things, then we're taking our sin seriously. Doesn't mean that we won't sin at all. That's not the, that's not the goal, by the way. That's not necessarily the goal of being a Christian, to sin no more. It's continually to get better and better so that you no longer need those guardrails, but that you can live fully into the kingdom of God. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, as we go forth in this week, may you be with us, may your spirit be with us, that the ways in which we are tempted and the sins in our lives, that we put our own security and our power and our status before you and others, reveal that to us. Work in our hearts, transform them, that we can live in the ways of Jesus, of serving others in, in humility and love, not seeing ourselves above others, but as equals to them. May you show these ways in our life, God, and be with us as we continue to love you and love our neighbor. Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.